Well, good morning, church. Again, if you're visiting here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor here. And we are a fun church. When people ask us sometimes, you know, what kind of a church you go to? The first thing I find myself saying is a fun one. I grew up in a church that wasn't very much fun. And that's not fun. Heaven is a, heaven's full of joy. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When we come in contact with God, there should be laughter. There should be freedom. Excitement. Because God is a good God. And so, today I'm really excited because we are going to launch a brand new series called Loving God Back. And I want this theme to be To sink down into your life, into your soul, into the DNA of this church. Because I believe this embodies the heart and the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today, I want to launch this series. Next week, Pastor Mark, who prophesied up here a little bit ago, for those that aren't sure what prophecy is, that's when God speaks spontaneously to us as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's in the Bible in in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And he'll be teaching next week. And then we have a prophet coming in, Dennis McNally, who's one of the most accurate prophets we've ever, I've ever met. He goes all over the world, empowering the church, especially the underground church, like in Vietnam and other places. Um, and then, uh, and then the fourth, uh, week, myself and Phil Williams are going to be, uh, teaching. And the whole series is on loving God back. But today I want to launch this series by talking about the why of what we do around the Gathering Place Church. And it's nothing more, nothing less than the why all of us should carry as followers of Christ everywhere we go, every day of our lives. You know, you've got to discover and rediscover the why in your life over and over and over. Isn't that true? The why is the fuel for everything you and I do. At first, it's usually easy. You get married. You know, why are you married? (laughs) I'm so in love. But after a few years... After five years, after ten years, after fifteen years, you go through some hard times, you've got to rediscover the why, because that is your motivation for being a great husband and a great wife. You start a new job, the why is simple, man. You're so excited you got that new job. But after you've been there a number of years, you feel underappreciated, maybe underpaid, you go through some difficult situations, you have to rediscover your why, don't you? It's got to be more than just the paycheck. Or you join a sports team. And you know the why. I made the cut, man. I'm on the team. But then when you don't get played, they play somebody else instead of you. The coach isn't, you know, treating you fairly, you don't think, or whatever it might be. Or you're losing. You're on a losing team. You've got to rediscover your why. Like, oh my gosh. Last month, I'm sitting in my car before the, you know, or the middle school basketball game starts with my autistic son, Sam, who's on the team. So it's really four on five, not five on five. But anyway, it's fun to watch. Everybody loves him. But he, he never gets the ball. Anyway, that's beside the point. I'm sitting in my car. The game's going to start in about 20 minutes. And the coach comes up to me and says, uh, Hey, i got to go to take my son, who's the tallest guy on the basketball team. i got to take my son to a baseball game. And I, will you coach for me today? I just woke up like 45 minutes ago. It's a Saturday morning. I've never coached basketball before in my life. I was a wrestler. It doesn't translate. You can't teach them, you know, a head and arm throw. 
That's actually how I play basketball. But anyway. And so I'm the coach. I'm like, I went to the assistant coach who was another guy he pulled off. Another dad he pulled out of the stands. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing, but don't tell them. So, uh, when we were losing by 35 points, about the fourth quarter, and the guys are throwing in the towel. They're not even blocking people. They're not even running down the court. They're not getting rebounds. I had to help them rediscover their, why are you out here? And so I called a timeout, got them on the bench, and I said, why are you here? You're going to feel horrible about yourself if you don't give it your all, all the way through the last buzzer. But if you do, even if you lose, which we're going to, you're going to feel good about yourself. And somehow it worked. I mean, they were running up and down the court. They were stealing the balls. Like, why did they play like that in the first quarter? We could have won. We could have, you know, maybe at least lost by 20, not 45. But anyway, it was amazing to see them rediscover their why. It gave them that energy. This happened to me when I was in my mid-twenties, early-twenties. I was a drummer at a mega church here in San Diego. We had a massive church and choir and ensemble, and I was the main drummer. And I remember I'd been there for about ten years. At this point, it was about seven years. I'm out in the lobby. It's the end of the service. The pastor's calling people down to receive Christ. And I'm in the lobby, and I've got a bad attitude about serving and sacrificing in the church. I'm not getting paid anything. I serve more than most anybody else here, including the staff. This was one on my head. It's like, man, oh, I'm just their worship monkey. They don't care about me. All they care about is having me drum for them. And this is the going on. I know nobody who's ever served in a church has ever had these thoughts. I'm the only one who's ever had these thoughts. I'm sure of it. And as I'm in the lobby, and the pastor, and people are coming down to get saved, the whole band's up there, but where's John? I mean, that's bad, you know. And I'm standing in the lobby and I'm looking through the door with this attitude. And the Lord spoke to my heart a word that turned me around from that day to this one. So maybe this is for someone here today, I don't know. Start your new year out right. He said, who are you doing this for? Oh, Mufasa. (laughs) I was like, whoa. I, I mean, I beelined down, beelined down the middle aisle. I was like, they probably thought I was coming down to give my life to Jesus. Man, I was running down that middle aisle, jumping on those drums. I played with so much joy. It's like, oh yeah, you saved me. I forgot. <laughs> I played my drums for him. I was on time. I was playing with, oh my gosh. It's been that way ever since. That's called loving God back. That is our big fat why. In Christianity, I like what Phil Williams said yesterday. He sent me an email. He said, Christianity is a thank you life. Our why is loving God back. Look what this scripture says. And this is what's on the, on the shirt, 1 John four nineteen. By the way, you can buy a shirt, short sleeve, long sleeve, or a hoodie and wear it. They'll be on sale side. We're not making much on That's not what it's about. It's about loving God back and displaying the message. What a great conversation starter, right? You wear that and say, what's that mean? Well, this is what it means. 1 John four nineteen. We love Him. Why? Say it out loud. That is so weak. Oh, my gosh. All right, let me pray again. Jesus. But here we go. 
Let's say it out loud together. Come on. We love Him. Yes. Everything we do for God is a response to His unconditional, undeserved, yes, unreasonable, unreasonable, unlimited love. Just look at you. That proves his love is unreasonable, right? He loves you. Think about that. He loved us before we loved him. In fact, the reason we love him is because we experience his love. Christianity isn't what we do for God first. It's rather what he has already done and is doing for us. It's a response. And here's the thing. When we lose sight of this... We lose our gratefulness. You see, Christianity is having a revelation of the goodness of God in our lives. A revelation, an experience of His unconditional love, His mercy, His kindness. We lose sight of what He did on the cross. And we become, what have you done for me lately, right? Rather than, my gosh, what you did for me on the cross. Me. And all the things you've done since. See, when we lose sight of that, we lose our thankfulness. We start looking at what God has not done rather than what He has done. We lose our gratefulness. We lose our worship. We lose our why. The psalmist said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Look what this scripture says in Colossians. And whatever you do, this is what a thank you life looks like. This is what a loving God back life looks like. And whatever you do in word, whatever comes out of your mouth or deed. Can I say, and whatever you post on Facebook. Whatever you do, see, he would have put that in here if Facebook existed 2,000 years ago. So I'm going to just go ahead and put it in there. And whatever you do in word or deed or on Facebook, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Would he post that? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we're going to read a story in the Bible of a woman Who's, who, who personifies loving God back because she experiences love. Let's go to the book of Luke. I'm going to read the story and then we're going to jump into just a few points out of the story. So Luke chapter 8, open your Bibles, get your Bible app out. It'll be up here on the screen as well. You can read along. Here we go. Luke chapter 7, did I say 7? Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked... Jesus to eat with him. A Pharisee isn't fair, you see, because he was a spiritual leader and he was putting rules and regulations and legalistic religious burdens on people, but they wouldn't live them out themselves. They were full-on hypocrites. A Pharisee asked Jesus to eat with him and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... That just makes me laugh because the reality is everybody were sinners, including the Pharisee. In fact, what we're going to see is he was a bigger sinner than the woman. 
But the way they categorized people back then in that religious environment they lived in was there were sinners and then there were the religious leaders. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, and we can do that too, by the way. As church people, we can think we're church people and then they are sinners. That's a big problem. The Bible says that if you say you have no sin, you make God a liar. And the truth is not in you. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I thank God for that promise. I use it every day. How about you? Thank you. Two of us. All right. Everybody else might as well go on to heaven because you clearly don't need Jesus anymore. Down here on the earth. And behold, a woman who was in the city in the center, when she knew that Jesus was at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. What a scene! What a scene! What a scene! I mean, here is this Pharisee, this powerful, prestigious, influential, intimidating, wealthy, religious leader. Invites the most popular rabbi in all of Israel to his house for lunch. And he comes. You can see Simon the Pharisee dressed in his robes at the head of the table. And all of his Pharisaical buds, you know, around the table. And we have the rabbi here. And they brought him because they wanted to test him. They wanted to see who he really was. And this woman, many think she was a prostitute. This uninvited, unwanted, filthy, sinner, woman, just busts into Simon's house uninvited and comes right to the guest of honor and stands behind his chair. And she's standing behind him, not quietly, weeping. I mean, weeping. I mean, can you imagine... What Simon's thinking, I mean, this is, this is ruining the luncheon, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, I mean, he lives in a purified environment, a sterilized environment where everything's perfect and religious and just right. And this woman comes in, stands behind the guest of honor, weeping, making a scene. And began to wash his feet with her tears. Now she's down at his feet, weeping and washing his feet with her tears. And wiping them with her hair. And she's kissing his feet. She's a prostitute. And she's kissing his feet. Under the table. I just, I mean... Simon had to like be gripping the white knuckle in the table. His head's about to explode with embarrassment, to say the least, and disgust. And she is anointing his feet with a fragrant oil. Now, 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 when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself inside and saying, "This man, if he were truly a prophet, would know who and what manner of a woman this is who is touching him, for she is the sinner." 
Well, Jesus, obviously, knew exactly who she was. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He says, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors, and one owed him 500 dinar and the other 50. So one owed 10 times more than the other. And when they had nothing which with to repay, he freely forgave them both. Now, you have to understand that when a rabbi turns to a Pharisee and asks them a, a question, a mystery, an enigma, the Pharisee loves it. Because this is what religious people live on, is spiritual facts and knowledge. Not love, not mercy, not compassion, not forgiveness, not grace, but spiritual knowledge. Knowledge and truth without love makes you a Pharisee. The Pharisees knew the Bible better than anyone in this room. But they were mean, judgmental, legalists, who everybody was afraid of. That is not the reputation the church wants to have. Right? Okay. Make sure I'm preaching to the right group of people. And so when Jesus asks him a question, he's like, oh, good, a test. I love passing tests. That's what my whole religion is all about, is passing tests. I'm going to get an A-plus on this one. I get an A-plus on every religious test. This rabbi's testing me. Watch this. And so Jesus asks him this profound question. And when they had nothing with which to repay... He freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, oh, I know this one. This is easy. I can't believe he gave me such an easy question. He says, well, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you have rightly judged. I can see Simon just looked at his Pharisee buddies. They're all around the table. Very good. What he doesn't know is that he thinks the woman gets an F, a spiritual F. She's a complete flunky failure in his mind. He's thinking that he's the A-plus student. What he does not know is she's got the A-plus and he's the flunky. Jesus just said to him, both of them had nothing with which to repay. When you and I think that we can repay God for his forgiveness with our good works, we have fallen into religion. We love God because he loved us first. And he loved us first when he had his son die on the cross for our sins. Gospel of Christianity is Jesus Christ plus nothing. Will you say that out loud with me? Jesus Christ plus nothing. When we think we can get into heaven or get God's 
favor and mercy and kindness because we've added something to the work of Christ on the cross. We have fooling ourselves and we're turning into little religious Pharisees. And we either feel good about ourselves, which is pride, or we feel bad about ourselves with the shame because we slip back into Simon's religiosity of trying to earn God's favor through our good works rather than simply say it. Every dime we give, every prayer we pray, every person we share our faith with, every church service we come to is simply loving God back. Christianity is a thank you life. Somebody say amen. But we're little religious people and we find ourselves sliding back into this pride, shame, pride, shame, pride, shame circle. Whenever you feel that way, you just know I'm slipping into Simon's religion. And as I've said before, we need to be more like a prostitute than a Pharisee. In context, mind you. Don't, don't post that one line on Facebook and put, and put my name after it. Pastor John Ettore. Be like a prostitute. Don't you dare. Get the t-shirt. Be like a prostitute, not a Pharisee. (laughs) And please, if you do that, put the scripture reference with it so there'd be some kind of context. Simon answered and said, I suppose. And he says, you've rightly judged. Then he turns to the woman and says, Simon, do you see this woman? And Simon's thinking, yep, I see her, the flunky. Now the rabbi's going to bury her under shame. He says, I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. Oh. 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 And, your point is, I mean, he's like, where are you going with this, right? You gave me no water for my feet. But she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And he's thinking, yeah, that was pretty uncouth, wasn't it, Jesus? He still doesn't know where he's going. You gave me no kiss, which was customary when you enter somebody's home in the Middle East. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You can, um, you can feel Simon, you can sense Simon feeling the tables beginning to turn on him. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. A plus. She gets an A plus, Simon. Her sins are forgiven. What? Right there, you have to understand, in this context, nobody can forgive somebody's sins but God. Jesus right here just said, I'm God. I'm, I am for, I'm declaring her sins forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, loves little. Then he told her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said, woman, your faith has saved you. Can you see that this whole thing is about love? Remember when Peter denied Jesus three times? Said, I don't even know, I don't even know him. And then when Jesus raised from the dead and he comes and finds Peter fishing... And then he makes him breakfast. Jesus didn't even talk to him about his betrayal, his denial. All he asked him was, do you love me? 
And Peter said, yeah. And he said, all right, let's, let's go. He who is forgiven much loves much. You see, our walk with Christ is an ever-expanding revelation of His love. And the more that revelation expands, the deeper our gratitude goes. And the deeper our gratitude goes, the higher our worship goes. Simon needed more forgiveness than she did. Can you, can you imagine that? Isn't that amazing? Simon needed more forgiveness than she did. Because he was a stinking, prideful, judgmental. He was a leader in the church. He was supposed to be loving women like this. Having pity on them. Having mercy on them. Helping them put their lives back together and restoring. That's what shepherds do. He didn't love Jesus. There are three things we see happening in this passage. And they are the only three things we do here at the Gathering Place Church. And they are this. This is our what. This is how we live out our loving God back. And we're going to do this over the next few weeks. But today I want to give a a little capsulated form of it. There's three things we do here at the Gathering Place Church. One, we love Jesus, which is our worship. Two, we love each other, which is our fellowship, discipleship, and ministry. And three, we love the world with the love of God, which is evangelism. That's all we do. And I pray that's all you do in every aspect of your life. I pray that whatever you're doing, you're loving God back with your profession, with your husbandry, with your wifing, with your parenting, with your giving, with your playing, with your hobbies with your gifts and talents, with your treasure, whatever it might be, just loving God back by loving Jesus, loving one another, and loving the world with the love of God. These are the three things that we do to love God back. I'm going to hit these real quick. Loving Jesus. Let's hit these. She clearly was loving Jesus, and Simon wasn't. She was loving Jesus back in a very uncouth way. There's a story in the Bible of King David... Some of you may or may not know this story, but David becomes the king. He's a king like nobody had ever had before because he didn't care about pomp and circumstance. All he cared about was his friendship with God. And they're bringing the ark back into Jerusalem. There's this big procession and the horns blasting and all the people coming in. Here's the king. And this usually is about the king. But David really could care less that he was king. He developed a relationship with God when he was a teenager, playing the guitar in the backfields with his father's sheep. He was a sheep herder, and he was fine with that. God is the one that called him, anointed him, and made him king. But he really didn't care about being the king. He just cared about his love and his friendship with God. And so when they're going to bring the ark back into the city, which is the box that God's presence was in, David was so excited about it that he's literally in the streets without his kingly robes on, all he has on is a prayer ephod, which is like, a, uh, like an undergarment, like a t-shirt. And he's twirling around in the streets and he's worshiping God and dancing and everybody's excited about it. He's, he's just so humble. He just loves God. And then he, he gives everybody food and drink and everybody's blessed. And it says he went home to bless his own family. And it says that his wife, who was the former king's daughter, and the former king was just prideful, only cared about image and what people thought about him, wouldn't be caught raising his hands in church to save his life because it's just so undignified. And here's her husband who's twirling around the streets and acting like a, like a fool. 
And he comes home to say, the ark of God's back in Jerusalem. The presence of God is back in Jerusalem. And he came home to bless them and give them, you know, all the food and the drink he gave everybody else. The whole city celebrated, she said. Well, weren't you a little undignified in the streets today, showing your undergarments to the maidservants of the city? I mean, she, all she cared about was her image. And he looks at her and says to his wife, try this, brothers, when you go home. Looks at her and says, God chose me to be king over your father. And I will, I'm going to tell you something, woman. I'm going I'm to be, he said, I'm going to be more undignified than this. He says that after the maidservants, they will hold me in honor. And the Bible says God closed her womb and she did not bear children all the days of her life. Jesus is not disturbed by this show of affection. Being exuberant for God is a gift. You know, Simon's looking at this woman, and what's amazing is that he thinks that she's the one that's lost when he's actually the one that's lost. She is loving Jesus back, and Simon is loving his religion. You see, when you come to Christ, you have to let go of your belief system and turn to the Savior. Simon is literally, his, his, his relationship with God is a system. It's a religion. It's rules. It's what I'm doing for God. This woman realized she had nothing to offer God. She was a waste of a human being. A complete failure. Somewhere along the way, maybe one of his sermons out by the hillside or in the marketplace, somewhere she heard and experienced the forgiveness of Christ. And when she hears that he's at a Pharisee's home, she could care less whose home it is. She busts into the front door of religion itself and literally disturbs the entire party to worship Jesus. That's what, that's what experiencing the love of God does. It makes you fearless and bold. You know the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Why do I care what you think about me when God thinks I'm amazing? The love of God changes everything. Ah. Many non-Christians think that those of us who are Christ followers are fools. Maybe. On this side of heaven. But not on the other side. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. In just a few minutes, I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. Some of you who are Christ followers, maybe you've slid back into religion. You know, here's Jesus sitting right in front of Simon, and he's getting nothing. This woman is having an encounter. Here's God sitting right in their living room, right in the presence of everybody. And there's only one person experiencing him. 
Because everyone else is experiencing religion. Where are you today? Where are you today? Are you a Christ follower, but your intimacy with Him is distant, and so you find yourself living in shame? I shoulda, woulda, coulda. I should pray more. I should go to church more. I should give more. That's a, that, Jesus never shoulds on you. He doesn't use that. You could, and He'll empower you too, and He's right here, ready like that. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. That's why the first piece of our fasting effort is intimacy. Intimacy with God. Restore your intimacy with God today, the beginning of this year. Say, Jesus, I want my, I want my worship restored like hers. Tonight, our prayer and praise night over New Hope Church in the youth building. Come, 6 o'clock. We're going to worship. And we're going to reconnect with God. We're going to leave our past behind. And we're going to restore the intimacy with Christ. And then out of that comes the, the increase of God's will in your life where heaven begins to pour into your life again. Faith and energy and vision and hope and peace and power. And then our eyes are about to harvest again, the ingathering. We start looking for people who have not yet come to Christ because our love has been renewed and restored. We realize that the best thing on earth is people coming to know Jesus. So that first piece is loving Jesus. That has to be fixed. Some of you have never come to Christ. I'm going to pray a prayer with you in a little bit for you to give your life to Jesus. I'm going to tell you, the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to experience a peace on the inside of your soul you've never known before. It's a gift that Christ gives to those who call Him Lord and Savior. His Holy Spirit will enter your soul. You'll find your sins and the burden of your sins and all guilt literally disappears and you experience a heavenly peace. It's a gift. It's supernatural. And then out of that comes the second thing we do, which is loving each other. Simon clearly was not loving this woman, but judging her. But what does Jesus say? What is his commandment to us? He gives us one commandment. Here it is. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved you? Just think about it for a second. How has he loved you? Come on. Say it out loud. Just throw some stuff out there. How has he loved you? Lavished what? Completely? When you were at your worst. Which was, how long ago was that, Mark? <laughs> A couple minutes ago. And he still loves you. Somebody else. Making himself known to you. When you don't deserve it. He loves me when I'm not the best husband. He loves me when I yell at my kids. He loves me when I sin. He loves me when I don't pray. He loves me when I'm faithless. I mean, He loves us, loves us, loves us, you know. And so then we turn to one another and we don't forgive each other. We're not merciful to each other. We're not gracious to each other. We can't believe what she said. We can't believe what he did. And the same, you know, it's like when you're driving down the road, right? And somebody cuts you off. It's like, I can't believe that person cut me off. They're like, oh, I missed my exit. Ah, you cut the person off behind you. We're such hypocrites. We judge ourselves by our intentions. We judge everyone else by their actions. Well, I didn't mean to do that. Well, you did it. Yeah, but I didn't mean to. But we don't give that same grace to others. 
But, but the mark of Christianity is that we love one another, our brothers and sisters, supernaturally, beyond each other's ugliness. The reason that Simon couldn't love her was because he was caught in pride. He was, you see, when we judge each other, when we judge ourselves among ourselves, you know, we can, we can really think, feel good about ourselves. Well, at least I'm not as bad as him. Well, at least I would never do what she did. I would never do something like that. Oh, watch it. Ugh. The Bible says you find a brother or sister who has fallen into sin. Be careful, it says. Be careful, lest you be tempted. Literally, what it means is what you sow is what you reap. If you're judging somebody else's sin, that sin is going to come around and tempt you. It's a spiritual law. You can't get away from it. That's why the Bible says, those who show mercy, get mercy. When people have asked me before, literally they've said, why are you better to people than they deserve? And I say, because God's better to me than I deserve. I told my, I told my kids the other day, I was, they're sitting up there at the bar eating. You know, I've got six kids, five are still at home, and they're all teenagers. And I got three 13-year-olds and a 12-year-old. And, you know, one of the sons were talking about me showing mercy to his brother, you know, when he just got punished. I said, listen, I want you all to know something. If I punished all of you the way you all deserved, you wouldn't even be here anymore. You know, this is during dinner, and they just stop eating, they're going... Looking at me. And I said, do you know why I don't punish you according to the measure that you deserve? I said, but God doesn't punish me or discipline. I don't even like the word punish because punishment's about, there's no redeeming factor in punishment. I actually use the word discipline uh, because that's hopeful. There's a purpose to it. I said, if God gave us what we deserved, I said, we would all just disintegrate. So I'm better to you than you deserve because he's better to me than I deserve. That was our, that was our little sermonette last night over dinner. But Simon didn't think he needed forgiveness, so he wasn't given any. But look what the scriptures say. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless. You see, that is not the message that the world or religion gives to us. The message the world gives to us is to avoid our weaknesses and you are powerful. You have the power. Be all you can be. Well, we do have some power, but we don't have nearly enough to make it through this life without the help of God. We were never designed to live this life apart from God's power, God's protection, God's presence, God's provision, God's goodness. We're not designed to live without Him. You won't make it. Look at all the brokenness in our world. We're a world that has rejected God and this is what we get. But God's right here. Draw near to God and He'll draw near to you. This is why it's so important to stay humble. When we think we're better than somebody else because we're physically fit and they're fat, and you despise them, watch out. What's your issue that they don't have? Because you have, you're rich and they can't pay their rent? <laughs> Pathetic. Because you have a degree and this person is going to community college like my wife did. Or didn't go to college or didn't graduate high school at all. 
I mean, where does your where does your judgment begin? Because because that's your point of sin and pride. And and literally, what it does, it blocks heavenly flow. It block pride, spiritual pride, blocks heavenly flow. God says He gives grace to the humble. We need to have compassion on people's weaknesses because we all have weaknesses. When we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. How many of you have that on your Facebook and your Instagram profile? Powerless and ungodly. How many of you have that in your dating, your dating website, right? You're out there on dating websites. Powerless and ungodly. Come and get me. But let me tell you something. Honestly, until you and I admit that we're powerless and ungodly, we don't experience the grace of God. Because you don't need it. At least you don't think you do. The Apostle Paul, who was rich and powerful and intelligent and amazing religionist, he said, I have come to celebrate my weaknesses. Because when I am weak, then I am strong because the power of Christ rests upon me. What a contrary message to the world, but it is so true. And then when you admit your weaknesses, and God says, oh, I can touch that. That humility. I can smell it. I'm attracted to this woman who's washing my feet with her tears and wiping over her hair. Doesn't care about social protocol because she's worshiping me. His power comes upon her, and then your weakest places literally become your strongest places. That's happened to me. The weakest places of your character literally become the strongest places of your character. And then you begin to be an encourager to others who have not yet overcome the areas that you've overcome. That's called transformation by the power of Christ. Amen. I'm sorry to knock off my earpiece because I'm just getting so excited. I gotta wrap this up. Verily, rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Simon was supposed to be loving her as a leader of the church, but he wasn't. He was judging her. Is that you? I think it is, because I think it's all of us. We can just be so critical. The James says, don't criticize other people, they're made in the image of God. See, the way we love our spouses, the way we love our children, the way we love our neighbors, because they're made in the image of God, the way we love the most unlovely, is the way that we love God back. We're an expression of His love. And the key to this is experiencing His love. So you have a fire truck, you got a house on fire, and obviously there needs, it needs to be put out. And you have a fire truck that pulls up to the house and gets the hose out. So you got a full-on fire truck, you got the firemen, you got the fire hose, and you have the fire. What are you missing? The water. Where are you going to get the water from? Where's the water come from? It's not a trick question, I promise. Yeah. The city's providing the water. 
They have massive storage places for water. But you got to hook the hose up to the water for that fire truck to have any water to put that fire out. You and I are trying to live life without the power flow of God, trying to love Him, worship Him, give, do all this stuff that quote, we're supposed to do as Christ followers without being hooked up to the fire hydrant. That's crazy. This is a supernatural lifestyle. And do you know what firemen will do if your car is parked in front of that fire hydrant? You know, no, they won't move it. You know what they do? No. You know what they do? They smash your windows out and run the hose right through your front seat. That's what they do. Some of you need to smash through whatever's blocking you from the heavenly flow of God's unconditional love. You need to say no to shame, no to guilt, no to fear, no to doubt and unbelief. You need to bust through the woman. You need to, just like this woman, bust it through the front door of religion. Broke right into it and worshiped Jesus right in the face of religion. I don't deserve to be here, but I'm here as so a deal. And I'm going to worship Him. Undignified. Some of you, you're not close to God anymore because you feel so bad about your sin. Well, I'm going to tell you, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than your worst day. His grace, the Bible says where sin abounds, grace what? Much more abounds. Look what this says in the scripture. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the source of all comfort, who comforts us in our trouble so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You see the cyclical thing there? See that? Loving God back. See how that works? So we got that little, those two little arrows going like this. Comfort. I need to comfort. I need comfort. I get it from God, and then I find someone who needs comfort, and I give comfort to the person with the same comfort I receive from God. Or you need mercy. I get mercy from God, the heavenly fire hydrant, right? And then I give the mercy out. I need love. I get love. I give love. I need grace. I get grace. I have. It. I need money. I get money, and then He gives me more than for me and my four. No more. I give some to you. That's how it happens. That's how the heavenly flow goes. I remember one time when I was in business before I was a pastor. I was uh, in prayer, and I had this, this like a vision of this, this uh, little picture of this movie in my mind, my imagination. You know, God has given us our imagination. Your imagination is not evil. It can be used for evil. Money's not evil. It can be used for evil. Internet's not evil. It can be used for evil. Everything can be used for good or evil. It's just about stewardship. That's why the next three Sundays will be stewarding our time, our talents, and our treasures, loving God back with our time, our talents, and our treasures. But I was in business, and I had this image in my imagination. I was, I was in prayer, and this grain was falling out of, the he- out of heaven. As the grain was falling out of heaven, it started coming up to my ankles and my knees and my waist, and I realized I'm going to get suffocated. So I took this grain, and I started throwing it out like this. And then I said in, my, in my, this, this vision, I said, God, if I throw all this grain out, there won't be enough for me. There won't be any left for me. And he said, no, that's how the grain started falling from heaven was because you were giving grain out. And as long as you keep giving out, it'll keep flowing down. Oh, bam. And I called my brother and I told him we were business partners. I called him and told him my vision. He said, I was in church today and I just couldn't sit there because God wanted to say something to me. I went home, I got in the prayer and the Lord gave him a vision 
in the vision, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like the same thing. And then all of a sudden, our second store opened. And then our third store opened. And boom, we are the top salespeople in the nation for this multi-million dollar corporation. And God taught us, as long as you keep giving out, I'll keep giving to you. You give out, I give to you. You give out, and whatever it is, whether it's money, prayers, mercy, grace, love, kindness, that is Christianity. That is the heavenly flow. And this brings us to our last point. I'm going to close with this. Loving our world with the love of God. We love God back by loving His Son, Jesus, loving one another, and loving our world. Look at the Bible says about loving our world. For this is how God loved the world. You see how I didn't say judged the world? That's coming, but it's not now. God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is what we call changing our world one life at a time. And we're going to do a February series called No Place Left. It means you and I and the rest of the body of Christ around our city and the globe are to be sharing the gospel with everybody on earth until there's no place left. Jesus said when this gospel is reached the ends of the earth, then he'll come back. And so we're going to be teaching on no place left, teaching on how to share the gospel effectively, have some gospel sharing uh, training in February. Uh, but that's the next series, so I'm not going to go into that. But these are the three things we do here, and I pray the three things you do in your life is loving Jesus, loving one another, and loving our world with the love of God, with the love that we're receiving from Christ himself. So what I'm going to ask now is for the ushers to come, and we're going to receive communion together. Because there's no way better to say thank you than with the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to do is the ushers are uh, passing out communion, and then we're going to have to wrap up. You have to go get your kids, because I've gone over just a little bit. But what I want you to do as we're receiving communion this morning is to think about think about uh, no um, we're gonna we're gonna pass it out this morning we're not gonna yeah people aren't gonna come down so you can go ahead and start passing it down the aisles how. Yeah, you can just go ahead and, you can, there you go. There you go. This whole thing that I taught today begins with you receiving God's love. This is the phrase I like to use. Just let God love you anyway. Just let Him love you anyway. Because if you're not experiencing receiving the love of God, it's all self-effort. It's all coming out of shame and fear and guilt. All the spiritual exercises we go through. But when you let God love you anyway, it just melts you. And then you become like that woman. And you just love Him back. As they're passing out communion, I'm going to tell you this one thing. 
I was in prayer one day and I said to the Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done. And he said this to me, if you want to be in my will, then you need to love yourself because I love you. I was like, open my eyes like, what? Think about it. God loves you. You don't love yourself. You're not on his page. He made you. He created you in his image and he loves you. And then he said this to me, and you need to love yourself the way I love you, which is unconditionally. That literally changed my life. I am the best friend I have. I give myself mercy and grace. That that critical voice in your head, that's not God. That's your dad, that's your mom, that's some authority figure you had in your life that was always criticizing you. That's not Jesus, I promise you. I promise you that is not Jesus. Don't listen to it. Jesus' voice is affirming and encouraging. And when he does talk to you about your sin, it's full of hope. Just let God love you this morning. Let Him love you anyway. Let Him love you right past your failures, your sin, your shame. Let Him love you. You experience that, you're going to start loving the power of His love. Josh, why don't you leave some worship by the past night? We need some communion up on the stage. Good, 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 good